In a surprise announcement, China has declared an import ban on Taiwan's wax apples and sugar apples, citing harmful organisms. This is the second such announcement since its ban on Taiwanese pineapples in February. The Council of Agriculture says no other countries have made such an allegation against Taiwanese fruits. Only China would pick a major holiday like the Mid-Autumn Festival to do so. The COA says it will seek formal channels to consult with China, and if there is no response before the end of the month, it will lodge a complaint with the World Trade Organization. An announcement posted on the website of China's General Administration of Customs states that imports of Taiwan's sugar apple and wax apples will be banned from entering China starting from September 20th. The reason of harmful organisms was given for the suspension. This came out of the blue, and Taiwan's Council of Agriculture is crying foul. For them to pick a holiday, a day when people are coming together, to notify us this morning that the imports will be suspended the next day, of course, from the perspective of the Council of Agriculture, we find it completely unacceptable. Just this February, China banned the import of Taiwanese pineapples, citing the presence of scaled insects inside the fruit. The COA said the current action by the Chinese is not surprising. Our sugar apples and wax apples are sold to other countries, but China is the only country that notified us of not meeting the standard of scaled insects. How would other countries handle this? They wouldn't just call it failure to meet the standard and suspend the trade. They would fumigate the fruit because you can see the insects on the surface, and that's that. The trade continues. Because our pineapples were banned by China back in February, the COA was ready for this one, since we knew that our sugar apples and wax apples would be next. To protect local farmers, the COA activated a $1 billion NT dollar special fund to help sustain a balance between production and consumption. In addition to increasing domestic consumption and adjusting the harvest periods, the money will go toward food processing costs so that prices can be propped up. According to statistics, Taiwan's wax apples and sugar apples are mostly exported to China, which receives 20% of the annual production of sugar apples and less than 10% of wax apples. The COA is confident that the crisis can be resolved just like the pineapple crisis. All the fruits that rely on a single market, like pineapples used to be, if we can take care of the sugar apple and wax apple, and then deal with the citrus fruits, then we don't have to worry about factors other than the professional issues that might trouble the development of Taiwan's agriculture in the future. The Council of Agriculture stated that it will request consultations with China through formal channels. If there is no response before the end of the month, it will lodge a complaint with the WTO in October. Sunday's COVID numbers stand at one local case and 11 imported cases, five of which had already been vaccinated but still ended up as breakthrough infections. The one domestic case, a woman in her 60s who is the mother of case 16227, she tested positive on September 10th while in the hospital, but her daughter visited her and tested positive. On the 17th, health authorities retested her and the result came back positive. While in the hospital, her test result was negative, but case 16227, the daughter, visited her and tested positive. So later, when the mother was retested, she too was positive. For the mother and daughter, both their CT values are pretty high indicating a low virus load. Both of these cases already had identified hospital contacts, 
a total of 16, which were all negative. Additionally, in the new Taipei preschool cluster, nearly 3,600 people were identified for testing, 75 of whom are in the process of being tested, and three people are waiting to be tested. The CECC will continue to monitor the situation until September 22nd. With a steady stream of imports of AstraZeneca, Moderna and Pfizer COVID vaccines, as well as the locally developed Medigen, several different brands of vaccines will end up being administered at the same time. Moreover, flu shots will begin in October, and that means as many as five different vaccines will be administered simultaneously. This has made primary care providers concerned about the increasing potential for vaccine mix-ups. To help in tracing possible adverse reactions, the CECC is reminding everyone to separate flu and COVID shots by at least a week. The rollout of COVID vaccines has been gaining steam with batches of AstraZeneca, Moderna and Pfizer arriving one after the other, and locally made Medigen added to the list. This has the country potentially on target for earlier than expected 60% single vaccination coverage by mid-October. However, COVID jabs are running up against the flu vaccination season, raising concerns amongst primary care clinics about administering all these vaccines simultaneously. Usually, all of one vaccine company's supply will get used up before receiving another company's. This is controlled by the health authorities. So let's say this week's vaccine is AstraZeneca. We wouldn't receive a whole week's quantity. Usually, we'll have one or two days' worth of doses in our refrigerators, and once they're used up, we'll receive more. So it can get a bit complicated. Looking at the sequence for vaccinations, the appointment platform is at the eighth round of AstraZeneca, and opening up to the first group of senior recipients of Moderna to receive their second dose. Pfizer vaccinations for schools across Taiwan are concentrated on September 22nd. And starting on the 25th, Pfizer vaccines will be administered to members of the public who've made a reservation online. Starting on the 28th, the recently arrived 1.08 million doses of Moderna will be given to seniors for their second dose. Then, on October 3rd, Medigen will be rolled out as a second dose vaccine. And if we add in the flu vaccinations that would begin on October 1st, that makes five kinds of vaccines in the mix to sort out. That shouldn't be too big of a problem. What's important is verifying the vaccination records of people because people might get the wrong vaccine. Sometimes someone's record is incomplete. So then there's no way to verify accurately what vaccine the person had before. That can increase the chances for mix-up. The CECC encourages everyone not to worry. If prior vaccination is verified, then there won't be any vaccination errors. But be sure to keep in mind that COVID and flu shots require a one-week separation. Because in general, vaccinations that result in adverse reactions mostly happen within seven days. And in order to avoid uncertainty around these incidents and exactly which vaccine caused it, we separate by seven days. Experts advise that the risk of vaccination mistakes is greatly reduced by people proactively providing their vaccination history and medical providers doing a double check on the system prior to giving someone a jab. The level two alert will continue. A two-week extension ending on October 4th was announced for the level two alert by the CECC Sunday. Let's hear from the health minister. Now, 
For this wave, our alert goes till September 20th. We are also announcing that from September 21st to October 4th, the level 2 alert will remain in force. For after that, we'll just have to wait and see and make rolling adjustments. Exhibitions in their venues, as well as health and sanitation services, must provide a list of employees' health status. Have more than 60% of the workforce already vaccinated with a single dose and set up rolling work schedules. Organizers of conferences and exhibitions must submit a prevention plan approved by local authorities three weeks prior to an event. Employees of the event organizer, contractors, and installation service providers prior to entering the facilities must have on their person a valid COVID negative PCR test report from within the last three days or a certification of vaccination. Many large exhibitions have been scheduled for the remainder of the year, such as pet and food expos. However, the venues all have comprehensive restrictions on food and beverage consumption. Capacity and social distancing limits also apply with one person per every 2.25 square meters and staggered seating. The total area occupied by booths cannot exceed 40% of the exhibition hall space and the site must be regularly cleaned and disinfected. The KMT chairmanship election will be held on the 25th. On Sunday, the four candidates came together in central Taiwan for a second round of policy debates. Cross-street issues were at the center. After being labeled pro-unification, dark horse candidate and former National Taiwan University professor Zhang Yazhong vehemently denied that he was for immediate unification. Meanwhile, more and more local leaders have come out to voice their support for former New Taipei Mayor Eric Chu. Unhappy that he was branded a proponent of immediate unification during the first round of the policy debate, Zhang Yazhong hit back at Eric Chu, who made the allegation. I proposed a plan to resolve hostilities and create peace across the strait. How could I be for unification by force? How could I be for the immediate unification? They say I'm an extremist. They say I'm very extreme. What exactly makes me extreme? I may be very active in my views, but I'm no extremist. In his Memorandum for Peace, Professor Zhang suggests the adoption of one-China joint interpretations and that we should avoid using the Republic of China. He would have us be called China Taipei. For the Chinese Communists and for Beijing, that would be the perfect path from one country, two systems to unification. Rather than calling someone in the party pro-China or a traitor of Taiwan or an American stool pigeon, we should speak directly to China. If I'm elected, I will invite people in leadership roles to go to China for an icebreaker. I myself am a child of Taiwan, a child of Taichung, and on behalf of the KMT, I will hold high-level talks with the Chinese communists. Meanwhile, Pan Blue local leaders, including Yunlin County Commissioner Zhang Lishan and Nantong County Commissioner Li Mingzhen, are starting to come out to rally behind Eric Chu.
If Ms. Zhang Lishan can fully understand what I'm proposing, I believe that she'll come to believe that I am actually the candidate who best serves the interests of both Ringling County and the Republic of China. I thank Commissioner Zhang Lishan and Commissioner Ling Mingzhen. We will seek the support of many others as well. According to the latest poll conducted on Pan Blue Groups, Eric Chu is currently in the lead, with Zhang Yazhong close behind. And incumbent KMT Chairman Johnny Chang is in third place. Every year in Taiwan, about 8,000 reports of stalking and harassment are filed to police. But in most cases, victims get little help from the law. Under the Social Order Maintenance Act, victims must prove that they try to dissuade their stalkers. And even if victims are able to prove their case, perpetrators can only be punished with a fine of up to 3,000 NT. In the current legislative session, lawmakers will vote on a bill that creates prison terms for stalkers and spells out specifically what constitutes stalking. Proponents say the bill will confer real protections to victims, helping to put an end to their living nightmare. Our Sunday special report. Dabbing watercolors on the paper, Wang Qiaoqiao pours despair and fear into her artwork. Her living nightmare began in 2016, when she became the target of stalking and harassment. He had a forged ID card when we were dating. In reality, he was already married, so I wanted to leave him. But then he kept sending me messages harassing me. He'd say, are you antagonizing me? Are you antagonizing me? He'd send me the same messages hundreds and thousands of times. Stalkers may also send you photos of your house's entrance or of your street and say, I've been waiting here, but I don't see you. Wang's ex-boyfriend refused to let her call it quits, and he became a shadow that followed her around. After almost a year of this, he turned his attention to her friends and parents. I actually threatened to call the police, but actually I wouldn't have been able to report him as there was no legal grounds for it. Ms. Zhang is in a similar plight. She was stalked by her former landlord for 10 years. He kept saying he liked me. I said, sorry sir, you have a wife and kids. I even told him that I was into women and not men. He didn't care. And so the intense harassment continued. I moved out, but in 2018, he ambushed me on my street. Ms. Zhang relocated her shop twice and began carrying pepper spray just in case. But her stalker refused to leave her alone, and the situation only got worse. It was raining that evening, and there he came again. He came to my shop, yelling. I shouted at him to keep out, but he tried to force his way in. He was very aggressive, and I was furious. I said, all right, just wait here. I'm going to call the police. He went, fine, go call them then. After Ms. Zhang threatened to call the police, her former landlord went away, but only for a short while. When he returned, Ms. Zhang rushed to pull down the metal shutters to her shop. Realizing what was happening, he became enraged. Look, he took a metal hammer from his pocket, smashed the glass, and left. 
If I hadn't checked before going out, instead of hitting the glass, he'd have hit my head. He would have attacked me, absolutely. Now I dread rainy days, because it was raining on the day he shattered the glass. I feel a sense of danger when it rains. According to police data, every year there are more than 8,000 incidents of stalking and harassment in Taiwan. A survey by a women's association says one out of every eight female students has experienced some sort of harassment. Rebecca Schaefer was targeted by a crazed stalker named Robert John Bardo. Bardo became obsessed with Schaefer after watching her on a popular sitcom. In July 1989, Hollywood star Rebecca Schaefer was murdered by an obsessed fan who had been stalking her. Her death prompted the state of California to pass the world's first anti-stalking law. That happened in 1989, and in 1990, the law was passed. Three years later, a lot of other states in the U.S. had followed suit. So laws like this started in the year 1990. In 1997, the U.K. also passed a law of its own. Over in Japan, they got the first law in the year 2000. Perhaps you already know, a university student was murdered in Okigawa after being stalked. Only after that happened, did Japan enact its anti-stalking law. Taiwan does not yet have a dedicated anti-stalking law. Stalking and harassment can only be prosecuted in accordance to the Social Order Maintenance Act. The Social Order Maintenance Act uses the phrase stalking another person without justifiable reasons. But that sentence ends with, despite having been dissuaded. So the bar is set quite high. We often get reports from people saying that they are being stalked. So we ask them, have you told them to stop following you? If they haven't done that and we take the perpetrator to court for a summary trial, the judge would rule that the case doesn't violate the law. Violations are fined 3,000 NT. With fines capped at 3,000 NT, current laws do not provide a significant deterrent for stalkers. Ms. Zhang, who was stalked for 10 years, says that after trying to sue her stalker via the Social Order Maintenance Act, she tried to do so using the Domestic Violence Prevention Act. That too went nowhere. We were not related, and we weren't in a relationship. I was just his former tenant. So the police told me they couldn't do anything. They said that I was in a legal loophole, and they didn't have any grounds for taking him in. In 2014, the Modern Women's Foundation attempted to tie off this legal loophole by drafting a bill for the legislative yuan. Progress on the bill stalled for years. But then, in April 2021, another death preceded by stalking and harassment shook Taiwan. The victim of the incident was Mrs. Zeng, a 29-year-old telecom worker in Pingdong who had been married for just over one year. In February 2021, she was groped and harassed by a man surnamed Huang. In March, she filed a police report against him, saying that he was following her. But with no grounds for requesting a restraining order, the incident came to a tragic end in April when Huang killed Mrs. Zheng. Law enforcement did intervene. They tried got both parties to settle the issue. But the perpetrator persisted. There weren't any legal tools that police could use. The victim's husband was stricken with grief. He asked me when the bill against stalking and harassment would pass. 
the day of Mrs. Tsung's funeral on April 22nd, the executive yuan finalized its own draft bill to bolster anti-stalking protections. The draft was sent to the legislative yuan for review. The draft broadens the definition of stalking to eight kinds of behaviors. They include surveillance, inappropriate romantic pursuit, unwanted gift-giving, and online harassment. If the draft is passed, violations would be punishable by up to three years in prison. If the perpetrator is also carrying a weapon, the maximum sentence would go up to five years. Depending on the circumstances, a court would be able to order the preemptive detention of a suspect. The draft was scheduled for review before the end of the legislative session in May, but the COVID pandemic threw a spanner in the works. At the time, the epidemic was the top priority. We had no other option. That's why this bill was not passed in the last legislative session. Enacting something is better than enacting nothing. We should try to put at least some protections in place quickly because that way, if there is a dangerous situation, we can get the police to intervene. In Japan, once law enforcement is involved, the behavior stops completely in more than 85% of cases. Lawmaker Zhou Chunmi says that the new anti-stalking bill may not provide comprehensive protections, but that revisions can come after it's passed. She says Taiwan can look to Japan as an example to follow. There, the first anti-stalking law was passed in the year 2000 and was expanded a few years later. Joe hopes the bill will be passed in the current legislative session to help victims of stalking bring the nightmares to an end.